Blog Talk Radio. I guess you could kind of say it's one and the same. 
the way he did sure. it because it's it's Kobe Bryant was the same way. Like they were just. Right. I mean, you can't just – I guess you can explain it off as just all, well, boys being boys, you know, that's – some men, that's just how they're going to be when they're the true alpha male like that. And, you know, if they've got to be the best right. in the room and they expect the best in the room, they're going to do as they do. I mean, personally, I would be more for as, – as, as a person, and if I were a teammate, I would want to be – I would want to be teammates with somebody that was more like Larry Bird or Magic Johnson or LeBron James who, I mean, they're they're not going to get in your face, but they're going to let you know what you did wrong. I mean, Larry Bird, yeah, he had a bit of a mouth on him and would get in your face, but at the same time, he's not going to result to punching you in the chest. Right, right. And and I think with Magic Johnson, what he would do, he would talk, what you call talk through you. Like, in other words, he'll go to you, like, say if Byron Scott missed a pass, right? Or say, like, someone went around Byron Scott. And he, he, he would, Magic go, would go to Byron Scott and say something to him. You're going to let him do you like that? You know what I'm saying? Dude, he not putting Byron Scott down, but he'll go come to you and say, are you going to let him do you like that? I know you're not going to let him do you like that. Stuff like that. So, That's yeah, the kind of I disagree. That generally works. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's all about pumping you up, but then again, putting your ass on notice. You know what I mean? So, because I, 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 Kevin and I, we talked about that last week. It's like that fine line between motivating and bullying a grown-ass man. You know what I mean? So, I, it's one of those delicate things. It's one of those things where, you do, you know, you don't – I mean, the means – sometimes the ends don't justify the means. And even though, like, his, the Bulls teams won six titles, he was six, they were six for six, obviously, right? Never seen the game seven. Um, but still, that doesn't give anybody the right to punk you or punk another grown man. I mean, you know, I don't think Jordan went into it maliciously, from my point of view. I don't think he went into it with bad intentions, with like just being a natural ass. I, I, I you know, I think that they want they, he wanted his teammates to be at his level, which is damn near impossible. But you know, at the same time, you know, they they showed up. They were tough. They were toughened. Uh, Steve Kerr, he won Steve Kerr's trust after that incident, as well as Will Perdue's and Luke Longley. Uh, but, you know, still, I mean, I, it, it, still, I don't think that means just by the means, and, and that's what Kevin and I, we rehashed last, last, uh, last week. So, Kevin, you have any additional thoughts or it's pretty much along the same, same type of line? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I um... – pretty much spoke my mind on it last week. And I think uh, you guys did a good job uh, summing up a lot of things that I had thought. Uh, One thing we didn't touch on last week that I just wanted to mention real quick um, about parts uh, seven and eight was how awesome the Space Jam uh, pickup games were um, and how cool that would have been to to have been there. And then them saying that MJ actually used that to scout players, which is, uh, which, which is really cool. And, I you know I don't know if it's devious or or what but I just I, I just thought that whole segment was just awesome and and bared mentioning. That I was cold blooded. That was so damn cold blooded, man. <laughs> it was so cold blooded with Jordan. I mean, had all those stars just with him, scrimmage with him, so he could keep himself in basketball shape. At least that was under that guy. But he would just look mm-hmm. and just just examine all those guys, guys he was going against. And just scouting him was like because that was during the time when he was out of basketball, right? Yeah, well, I think he had come back. 
and had that yeah. playoffs where they fell to the Magic, and then that summer they did filming, right. and he was getting back back into basketball shape and uh, and scouting guys there. And yeah, I just I just thought that was cool. It'd be cool to be on that that set and just get to go see. And they built Jordan that whole workout facility where he could work out and play basketball. Like, yeah, uh, you know, most actors most actors get a trailer. Jordan got an entire gym. I, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty damn cool. for that off. But when we see that today, though, like Jordan getting away with that, like, well, no, getting away with that, but being able to be on the set for how many, whatever, how, how many hours, and then during his breaks or afterwards, have those his fellow NBAs come to scrimmage and just do that for several days on end, several hours at a time. I don't think we ever see that again, Jared. At least to that to to that level of dedication. I mean. <sighs> Maybe, maybe not. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's just a matter of, like you said, the level of dedication. I mean, granted, Michael was on an entire another yeah. level with that, and it's a completely different scenario with – we'll just go back to LeBron because of Space Jam 2. You know, coming right. off of the season, like, if if LeBron's coming out of a similar situation where we'll say – let's say there was a lockout or something like that when they did filming and he, he hadn't played in a year, a year and a half, and he was coming into a season and he needed to get in basketball shape. I can see, I mean, what's the difference in Michael doing that with those pickup games and the pickup games that the guys play in New York at Rucker park and out in LA and down in, you know, over in Chicago and stuff like that. Like, I don't, I get where you're coming from the the level of dedication, but yeah, Michael was filming all day, but then there's also guys that are working out all day. Then they go play pickup. Then they go play in there. Then they go work out again. So it's just kind of all a matter of kind of where your perspective is on it, I guess. Yeah, I hear you on that. Um, we'll shift gears a little bit. Uh, did we talk about the Sonics last week in terms of how they fell in this time, particular timeline? Uh, you know that 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 the that the first series of the second three P. Did we talk about that? No, last we week? I think we was, we ended up not talking about the Sonics, and I thought it might have been because I, I, I remember thinking about oh wait you know we talked a little bit about George Carl I think at one point, but didn't mention the fact that George George Carl had given the cold shoulder to Jordan at a at a restaurant or whatever yeah. and uh, before the final. So yeah, yes, yeah, so I I don't think we touched on them. Well, the reason why, yeah, okay, cool. Well, that didn't exactly remember, but I mean, do you all catch that segment where um, where Gary Payton, like when they when George called out desperation, switched Payton on to Jordan, and I think it was in Game Four, where, like yeah. on the verge mm-hmm. of getting swept, and so mm-hmm. you know, in the Sonics coincidentally ended up winning those two games to send it back to Chicago for Game Six, but of course, you know, it was a good game. Game Six was a great game. But, you know, of course, the Bulls threw it out, I mean, you know, the rest was history. But the way Jordan's reaction to when Peyton said that he felt that he wore MJ down, I don't know if that was – that was I don't know if that was disrespectful or just hilarious to see Jordan's reaction <laughs> when they played that back to him. He was like, are you serious? So, Jared, I know you will, you will fall on the floor laughing when when, when, Bert, when uh, MJ – his, his response to what – Gary Payton said about wearing him down. That, that was pretty hysterical, I thought. 
I started laughing, and uh, you know, I'll, it, it bears reminding that I wasn't really old enough to to know anything about this. So I'm kind of seeing all this mm-hmm. stuff fresh. At the same time, I look at it. Gary Payton was called the glove for a reason. You know, right. he was one of the best defensive point guards of all time. And granted, he was smaller than Jordan. But right. you, you can't say that one of the best defensive players of all time didn't give you trouble. I mean, because look yeah. what happened. Not that anybody – I don't think anybody in the world thought that the Sonics were going to come back and win the series. I don't, I don't think there was anybody right. in the world that thought that. But they came back and took two games rather convincingly. Mm-hmm. And Gary mm-hmm. Payton, was a, it, was a big, it was a big part of that, being able to slow down Jordan. And maybe, maybe Jordan's thought is, yeah, I didn't, really, I didn't really push all that hard those two games. You guys took a couple of games when we knew we had the series in the bag. But I kind of that, – that was – it was a common theme from this entire last dance saga that Michael Jordan just does not have respect for very many basketball players. Yeah. He was very petty. Very, very petty. Very petty. And very predictive too. I mean, he feels a grudge like no one's business, man. I mean, he, I mean, the sheer fact that he wouldn't give Peyton a little bit of credit for his play in games five and six, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, and to your point, they call him the glove for a reason. He was a great player. Yeah, um, I mean, I can understand holding grudges on some people, like like, like the grudges that, he, that he's got against Isaiah and, and, and stuff yeah, like sure. that. Like, there, those are some like that, but the people that didn't give you a reason to have a grudge against them – Dude, you got to give a little bit of respect and some credit where credit's due. And I just feel like he's he everything when it comes to having been the be, be the greatest of all time, and everybody acknowledges that being six and zero in the in the finals and and here there and everywhere with that. It's just he he's he gives doesn't really give too much respect to other to his peers, and granted, you might be better than all the rest, but there are still some very, very, very good players that you played against that you don't even acknowledge. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just think it's a little exactly. pompous. Yeah. Well, uh, I would say, I would say he has – I would say – I would just interject. I would say he has tremendous respect for guys like Magic and Larry – I mean, uh, and I think that was seen in this week's episode. I, I just it was one of my favorite scenes uh, in the whole thing when when Bird and Jordan meet in the parking lot after Jordan's eliminated the Pacers and and game game seven and Bird tells Jordan to go f himself or whatever. But it's like a joking uh, way that he does mm-hmm. it, and there's and I, you could tell there's mutual respect there. So I but I think I think Jordan's respect is for his elders maybe more so than. Uh, I guess maybe who we would call his peers in the '90s. You know, those guys in the '80s that he he fought to they to be better than. That he fought to he fought to get. Yeah, they had to go through that. He had to you know say the reason he wanted that three peat. He said was because Bird and Magic never got three. So I think that I think he had respect for for guys, but I think that it was you had to be on a level of greatness that Bird and Magic were on in order to get that. And so I I would disagree that he disrespected everyone but uh i think that i think 
him thinking that – I think just the thought that Gary Payton gave him fits when, when the Bulls had the series in hand uh, is – it was laughable to him because I think it is laughable to us. And uh, I'll just add one final note, a coach that a coach that would make the decision to not put Gary Payton on Michael Jordan until the fourth game of the series. Sounds a lot like a coach that would probably have Tim Thomas take a three at the end of overtime instead of Ray Allen. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, that, that was, that was awesome. Uh, that, was, that, was that was low. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. I mean, my Bucks fans and Sonics fans, they probably just have collective groan out at that point because, in agreement with you, Kevin, because, yeah, we're not going to bring it up again for fans everywhere. Um, speaking of respect for tears, for tears, you did notice that in, in episodes 9 and 10, I might as well skip to it now. He gave. It seemed like he gave respect to uh, Reggie Miller and Carl uh, Malone and John Stockton. Mm-hmm. You know because mm-hmm. he, he called. He, I think Jordan called the Pacers his toughest test by in, in doing a series of, of three peaks because I, I because you know you know you feel like between games when they're about to get interviewed you know like like Jordan received. Uh, uh, Miller and give him positive, like give him a dap and call him his brother and ask him how he's doing and call him along when he when call him along congratulate him on his title his last title. Jordan asked him how the kids are, how the family are. So there's respect between those cats for sure. Mm-hmm. It's just because it's getting his tough it's toughest battle. Um, so we're, we're going to focus on the Pacers because the Pacers were the focus I think on of episode nine uh, how tough that Pacers team was and. You know, Jerry, I know – I'm sorry, bro. I, like, like, I know you're too young to remember that series, but that was that was, that was was one of the best series, playoff series of, of, of all time. And that wasn't – that was a final. That was the Eastern Conference final. That wasn't even the NBA finals because the home team won every game in that series. Most of the games were pretty close. But one could argue, Kevin, that, um, that the Pacers on paper were probably the better team. They were bigger, they were deeper, they were just long and tough. Yet Michael Jordan and the Bulls found a way. So, so give me your thoughts on how the Pacers stacked up against the Bulls in that last uh, uh, playoff run that, that Michael Jordan had, the last, last of the six times. Yeah, uh, um, for sure. Um, I think if you look firstly just at the matchups, um, the Pacers were stacked inside. They had uh, Rick Smith, yes. um, who was a really tough player in that era. And, um, and I just, I, it's funny because this Pacers team is like, along with the Jazz and the Bulls, this was like right when I started watching basketball. And uh, I think the game back in PS1 was NBA Live. So I remember playing with that, that, that Pacers team on NBA Live on PlayStation 1. Um Right. But uh, then they had the was it it was uh, Antonio Davis and was it Dale Davis right? Um, yeah, Dale uh, in the front court. Yeah, so they had the the two Davises. They had Smith, so they had a ton of size up front. Um, and then you just go down. You had two sharpshooters and Chris Mullen and and Reggie Miller, and then uh, Mark Jackson, who you know, if it weren't for John Stockton and Jason Kidd and Magic Johnson, I mean, he's one of the best assist men of all time. 
uh, and, and one of the right. more underrated point guards, you know, in the in the annals of NBA history. So uh, it was a really good team. You had a, a great facilitator in Jackson, and he had weapons uh, in Mullen and Miller who could get the ball in the basket from pretty much anywhere on the floor. And uh, I remember on Sunday night, my wife's sitting there playing on her phone, not paying attention. I'm watching the last dance. And then Reggie Miller takes a three, and I nudge her, and I'm like, see, everyone says Steph Curry was the first person to shoot, you know, with his legs going wild like that. But look, Reggie, Mil- Reggie Miller shot like that, you know. Um, and, uh, sure so, yeah, it was, <laughs> um, it was, uh, <laughs> was kind of cool, though, because it's like I, I remember back to, to being my uh, 10-year-old self watching it, and I remember that shot that Reggie Miller made, and I'm like, I actually remember this, you know. So it was one of the first parts in the series that I – I was getting to relive. Um, but, yeah, I, I think on paper the Pacers had a really good team and uh, and they had a really good coach uh, in Larry Bird. and uh, So they were definitely a formidable formidable opponent, no doubt, and, and that's why they pushed the, the Bulls to the brink. Yep. Yep, yep. So, Jared, like, what are your thoughts on that too? Like, because that was – I was wondering – that was a few, one of the few times where I thought that the Bulls were Jordan – would have been gotten because Pacers were great that year. They, they, I forgot what record they finished up, but they were right there. And, you know, to see, I, I think, honestly, a lot of people thought would be the, that would be the end of the Bulls run because the Pacers were, were pretty damn good. I said great earlier, but they were pretty damn good. And they were just, to me, better. And they really, really worked Chicago. They really, that's the Jordan company. So give me your thoughts on this series as well. The way that I kind of looked at it and the way that I could, I guess the, the, just the way that I, I saw the saw the way the games was, were talked about and everything, I kind of likened yep. it to Golden State versus Houston um, mm. in 2017 when they played in the Western Conference Finals, and it was pretty much whoever wins that series is going to go on to win the uh, NBA NBA title. And right. what it came down to was who has the better – who has the better star. You had Jordan and Pippen on one end, and you had – who was the second-best player on the Pacers that year? I mean, in your opinion, it, it I was, wouldn't have been Smith. Mark Jackson – who? Probably, probably Mark Jackson or um... – or Mullins, just at least from a scoring standpoint. Yeah, so you're you're questioning who their second best player is, but if you take Scottie Pippen and put him on the Pacers, who's the best player on the Pacers? There you go, Scottie Pippen, mean, Reggie Miller. I mean, Reggie Miller was nice though. Red, what was he, Scottie Pippen? I, yeah, yeah, but Reggie Reggie Miller was a dude who could get his own shot in almost any angle. He he, he could run him off the screen. He can get his own shot, and he can catch it on the screen, just put it up so quick. He had a quick, a quirky-ass quick release of his. That was I don't want to take anything away from Reggie Miller or sound like or, – or anything no, like that, because Reggie Miller's probably top five shooter of all time, just sure. pure counting right. stats and just because of just the effectiveness of his shot. But if you're telling right. me in a draft I've got to take either Reggie Miller or Scottie Pippen, I'm taking Scottie Pippen because he offers me a more complete package. So the point I'm trying sure. to make is your two best players on the Bulls are 
better than the best player on the Pacers. And in the playoffs, being a deeper team doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. It's it's kind of been proven over time that whoever has the best top players usually wins the series mm-hmm. unless you have somebody who's completely transcendent. And that's just kind of how it goes. And even if that person is transcendent, a la LeBron James being able to carry Matthew Delavadova to a finals and get a, a, get a win, it's still – it, you, you, whoever has the better, the better top end talent seems to win in the playoffs, and that's just kind of the way I looked at that series from afar, and not having watched it in the moment and seen what went on, so I can't really give a great like analysis of it. But from what I can tell and from what I've seen of it, that's kind of how it is. It's just that the Bulls were not nearly as deep, and their rotation three, four, five guys were were not nearly as good as the Pacers, three, four, five, six guys. But the one and two guys were just head and shoulders above the Pacers' one and two guys. Yeah, that's a good so point. I'm pretty sure... I, I think I feel like I articulated that well enough. Yeah, and Scott, no, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Jalen Rose was coming off the bench for that Pacers team, right? He was still young, he was still Correct. relatively Correct. early in his career. and he So he wasn't even a starter yet. So you got a guy like Jalen Rose, who we all know, uh, what a, what a great career he went on to have! Like he was coming off the bench for that Pacers team. Yeah, exactly. That's how. I think that was a Pacers team at its peak because I think so. So few seasons after that, they 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 made the finals to to like for the right to get beat by the Lakers. But they, they were they were they were pretty good. But yeah, to your point, Rose coming off the bench was the scoring punch off the bench and. You know, I remember they had Rose like during the commentary of that of that documentary, uh, giving his two cents on it. Yeah, they were better on paper, but yeah, to your point, Jared and Kevin too, were better than what Indiana had. And to your point, Jared, I would agree that if Trippin were to switch squads, he would be the best. He would be the best team, the best player rather, on the Pacers. But the Pacers just had that grit. They were well coached by Larry Bird, and. To your point about that series being a lot like the Rockets Warriors Warriors Rockets series, that's like that was that was like Warriors Rockets was, was like Bulls Pacers with offense and less defense. People had an idea of how great that was. Let's think about Warriors Rockets with better defense and not as good a shooting. So if that makes any sense, so that I think that's a a provoke, uh, comparison. Um, let me let, like let me pose you the question, Kevin. Um, mm-hmm. Moving on from the Pacers to, uh, to 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 the Jazz, I think episode ten focused solely on the Jazz because the Bulls faced them twice, right? From title mm-hmm. number five to title number six. Um, I remember the, 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 the some of the uh, George Fulmer's teammates saying that said that they the Jazz was just a horrible matchup for the Bulls because that pick and roll and pick and roll. Stockton to Malone, Stockton to Malone. I mean, you know it's coming. You know the pick and roll is coming. You're screaming at it at the TV as an opposing fan. But yet, no, hardly any team had any to do anything about it. And that's how you knew that, how great that squad was with Malone and Stockton. You knew it was coming. You knew what they loved to do. But you rarely had a damn thing to do about it. And that's when you, that's when you know it's what's going on. 
I mean, it's a simple pick and roll, and Holy <laughs> wants to stop it. <laughs> it's just, it's just amazing to me. It's a, it's a, it's a basic basketball play. The mm-hmm. pick and roll. You would think people would figure yeah. out where to defend it. Couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> it's just, it just boggles my think, mind, man. I think why yeah. it was so successful for Utah is because you probably had the two best guys to run the pick and roll that were, that would ever be able to, as far as like the perfect point guard to run the pick and run the, the perfect power forward to do it. You know, Malone was such an adept scorer and people forget Malone had a nice little sweet jump shot. You know, he wasn't just a, an inside bruiser, although he had, you know, a nice hook and sky hook and he could get inside as well. And then uh, Stockton was just so quick and uh, I yeah. remember playing. I remember playing basketball in elementary school and trying to model taking a charge after John Stockton. Um, so he's just a guy that you know he he wasn't the biggest guy. Uh, he was wiry, you know, as people like to to say about people built like John Stockton. But he he you know he knew how to set a screen. He knew how to set a pick. And um, uh, yeah, they were just. Uh, there's a reason he's the all-time assist leader, and there's a reason Carl Malone is. What is he? Is he still number two in all time points all time? Uh, yeah, behind, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right. So, uh, you know, you you look at where they both finished their careers, and um, they were just two perfect players to to run that system. And then, um, yeah, I, I think that's why why it worked so well. And you know, they had some nice complimentary pieces in Utah as well. Like Jeff Hornacek was an, an incredibly good three point shooter for that era. Um, and Greg Ostertag could match up against Luke Longley as, as far as just being big guys that clogged the lane, which is, you know, what what centers were back then a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's why it worked, uh, just because you had two guys that uh, could do it at, at the top level. Like, I can juggle, and you, you might say juggling is not that hard, but then if you look at a world-class juggler, yeah. I can't juggle. Right. I can't juggle like that. And so I think they were just two guys that were world-class at running that pick-and-roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember Jared one series, I watched him, the Jazz play against the Rockets, like, I guess, you know, that series that, that sent it to the first finals appearance. And they just, just like everybody, they did with everybody else, they, they just killed Houston with that pick-and-roll. I mean, it was just surgical. It was downright surgical. So uh, what were your thoughts on the Jazz? Like when you when you watch like Carl Malone and John Stockton, like really maybe possibly for the first time like in depth of what they did and how they how they efficient how efficient they were how and how great they were at just executing this simple ass basketball play. They were great at executing just as you said a simple ass basketball play. Um, the yeah. the I I'm not going to spend the entire time taking taking away from it. One thing I will say is that they would have struggled a little bit their pick and roll if NBA defenses had figured out the concept of switching the pick and roll yeah. instead of constantly fighting through or over it. That that would have taken away some of the edge of it, but that, I mean, still, they were so good at it together and in concert that it would have, like, switching would have only mitigated it so much. If that if that makes sense, right. the switching would help against it. But to, to Kevin's point, they were so good at it together that they still would have been 
probably the best pick and roll duo of all, all time as they are now, and and rightfully so. Um, I mean, they they played together for so long. Like when you play with when you play with somebody together with somebody for as long as you did, especially when you're number one option on a team and number two option on a team, like you're gonna have a a repertoire built up with them. You're gonna have a trust. You know where that person's gonna be. And I think I think by the time they got to these championships, that Finn Malone just that was just an absolutely well-oiled machine that they trusted. Yeah. Malone knew that Stockton was going to get him the ball where he needed it, and Stockton knew that as soon as Malone got the ball, that there was going to be a basket. So yeah. I don't know what it is, and I should have gone and looked at it, but I, I want to see how many of Stockton's assists were to Malone out of the pick and roll. It's just because it, it, was, it was an absolute thing of beauty at times, and then at other times it was just like you could see it happen. You knew it was coming. You did everything you could to stop it. And then Malone got his hands on the ball and then just bullied your ass to the basket. <laughs> right. Right. You know, like, like Malone, he's one of the few basketball players, NBAers, who could have really excelled at football. He had a, that frame of his, that body. Mm-hmm. He's like six, eight, six, nine, but jacked. I mean, Jack, not just cutting and 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 rip, but Jack, he could at least been a defensive end <laughs> if, if he really wanted to. Yeah, he had that frame. Yeah, he country strong, right? About country, yeah, country strong. Exactly. He's from Louisiana, deep rural Louisiana. <laughs> he went went to Louisiana Tech, but yeah, he. Yeah, that was one big ass dude. He's he's one of the few guys I once said that if he was to say, you know. I'm gonna take your girl. Say okay, and by the way, here's my wallet. Take that too. So, <laughs> you know, or brother, I take the basketball. Um, you know, not my girl, but if he if if if, if he wanted to get my shot, I throw him the basketball, and I'm say here, here's my wallet. What you know, while you at it, and just take off running the opposite direction. He that was a big <laughs> dude. It's a big. He said a lot, but he's a, that's one big ass dude. Um, but um. I'm just thinking about what ifs, you know. I mean, this this documentary left us with so many what if questions. Like, of course, what if Jordan never retired in the middle uh, after his first repeat? What if the Bulls came back to chase number seven? Uh, what if like what like what if Jordan like how many how many teams like Jordan that superstars that Jordan kept from getting their first titles like the Patrick Ewings, the Carl Malones of the world. The Gary Paytons of the world, the Richard Millers of the world, um, you know, um, and so on and so forth. And the Clyde, well, well, Clyde Drexler eventually got 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 a championship ring with the Rockets, but still, Clyde Drexler and his prime in Portland, um, you know, Jerome Kirsten and company, like keeping them from like 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 from getting their first child title. But um, let me ask all this: if let's just say this this this, and you know, I, I, like like I think I asked y'all this last week about. If Jordan didn't retire, well, actually, no, I asked Kevin this. If Jordan didn't retire between uh, the first and second three-peat, would there have been, like, a, a six, uh, no, an eight-peat, if you will, be like, uh, like because, like, you know, Houston won. The Rockets moved for 
Jordan step away from the game and, and coming back like rusty in the second year. Um, but I tend to believe, Jared, because I talked to Kevin about this last week, I tend to believe that that Houston, first Houston team was pretty damn tough. They had a large one at his prime, team large one at his prime, a nimble seven-footer as we've ever seen outside of David Robinson, of course. And, you know, they had all those snipers surrounding them on the perimeter. And tough players, too, like um, Cedric Maxwell and uh, Mario Ellie and, 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 and Robert Ory and, and Sam Cassell, his ugly ass, and, 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 and a few other guys. But, uh, but, but, Jared, what do you think? Do you think that Houston would have able to uh, stop since Houston made, it, made the title rounds both, both those years? Do you think Houston would have prevented Chicago from going eight straight? Yeah. A hundred percent. I I okay. I truly think that if Jordan had stayed in the league, Hakeem was on a mission. And even if Jordan was in the league, honestly, you saw how difficult it was to three peat. And and, and right. I'm not just talking about with the Bulls the first two times. I'm talking you had the Bulls the first two times. You watched Golden State try to three peat. You you see how right. worn out LeBron was after going to the finals eight years in a row, and but he wasn't winning, but he was still dragging his team. Nah, not dragging his teams there. He was still getting there. The the Houston or uh, Miami, those the Miami Heatles, like they they went to three four in a row, three in a row, four in a row, one two, yeah, four in a row, and you yeah. saw how just depleted that team was afterwards. So I I don't I don't believe that if Jordan hadn't taken his break, they would have won both of those they would have won both of those championships. And let me add this. Jordan yes, says sir. every team who wins a championship deserves the right to run it back and lose it. Well then why the hell did you leave in ninety four and ninety five? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't yeah, come exactly. back to defend I mean, it then. So why are you salty about not being able to defend it after the second three piece? Because it wasn't done on your yeah. terms? Ultimate what if, man. I think that that Bulls team, you know, people forget that Bulls team in ninety four, like when when the first year that Jordan stepped away, they were pretty damn good. They they finished fifty five and twenty seven, two games behind my Knicks and the Hawks, who were the top seed. And even without Jordan, and, we'll, and this, we'll, just, we'll get into this like, like later in the last segment of the show, we're talking about Scottie Pippen, his performance, game six, at the Eastern Conference uh, semifinals since 1994. They took the Knicks to seven games. And people argued that the Bulls should have beaten the Knicks still without Jordan. Um, that's, that's how good and deep that they, they, that they were because they had Pippen in, in his prime. They had Horace Grant in his, coming to his prime, was playing well. Uh, B.J. Armstrong was playing well. Um, and, of course, Phil Jackson, that was his best coaching job, in my opinion, um, because no one expected the Bulls to be still that good without Jordan being there. Uh, it be like a, a game away from going back to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Pacers. Um, but still, if Jordan was on that squad, I think Houston was that. It was so tough. Houston was so tough. They, they, were, they were just tough. I mean, I mean, plus, no one who, – who did Chicago have an answer for Akeem Olajuwon? 
They no never one. asked for him. No one had asked for him. <laughs> David Robinson, like, 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 remember it was the following year, but still, David Robinson, when, 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 um, when, when the Lodge one used a lose David Robinson like, like, uh, like a little charming. I mean, he just used them. He, he used them and abused them. And he was like, Robinson was one of the better uh, 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 defensive-minded centers, and he was damn good in his own right. And he had you remember when Elijah, okay, so Elijah Wan won the uh, MVP in 94, right? That's correct. Okay. So do you remember who finished second that year? I, I'm guessing David Robinson, maybe? Olajuwon busted okay. David Robinson's ass up and down the floor a lot. I'm not saying that yes, he, did. He, did. he busted his ass up and down the floor, but give the Admiral credit. When Olajuwon won that, uh, when Olajuwon accepted the uh, MVP trophy, David Robinson came out and put uh, 53 on his ass. So just give give the Admiral <laughs> some credit there. People don't realize how good the Admiral was. Yeah, yeah, but mm-hmm. to your point, David, or to your point, there, nobody had an answer for for Hakeem over a seven game series. Yeah, and the way Hakeem used and abused Patrick Ewing, uh, Patrick Ewing, when he had a spin move in the garden on Patrick Ewing just dunked on him, that was that was a thing of beauty too. I, I to, I was sitting there as a Knicks fan, like my dad and I were both Knicks fans, so I was sitting there watching the the, uh, the finals. The game three in the garden, and we had our mouth just agape, almost jaws, almost in the floor when I, when one put that spin move on Ewing, <laughs> and, and you could hear the crowd in the garden go, oh, you know, I mean to be that big and that quick, that was just that it just wasn't fair. I mean, he was a soccer player. He was a, he was a soccer player who played basketball. That was what one was, but. Yeah, I mean, to your point, exactly. That's why I don't think they would have beaten that Houston team that in '94, maybe '95. With Jordan having the full season, but not '94. Houston was was just just that good. Um, and uh, if I could just interject real quick with the with the point I made last week about the roster turnover from that Bulls first three point peat to the second three peat. Just studying oh, up for talking talking about this Pippen game later. Like, there's so many guys yeah. that never played with Michael Jordan on the Bulls that were on the Bulls for those two years. And I'm like, man, if that, if that wouldn't just be the ultimate level of, I don't know, just suckiness as far as getting to the NBA and being disappointed, the fact that you are on the Bulls only for those two years uh, when Michael's gone, uh, names like uh, Dave Johnson, uh, University of Cincinnati's Corey Blunt. I think he lives in Hamilton now. Yeah. Uh, Jojo, Jojo English, um, like those guys never, those guys never got to play with Michael, and uh, they were on those '94 and '90, or excuse me, '93 and '94 teams. Uh, and you knew when Michael came back, those names that history doesn't remember. No offense, guys. Uh, you know, those guys were no longer on the roster. You know, and so there were upgrades made to the roster by the time Jordan came back and. Uh, I think that has to be noted. Uh, the Bulls roster in, in those years wasn't as good as the first or second three-peat. Exactly, exactly. So, it, yeah, it's one of the main what-ifs, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. But let me ask this, Kevin, since we're talking. Um, 
we we already talked we already talked about the military the like the years in between the three peaks. But how about mm-hmm. when it would have like say like if Jerry Crossing loses his mind and didn't threaten <laughs> didn't 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 threaten to fire Phil or still fire Phil after going eighty two and quote eighty two and oh. Um, what if they mm-hmm. did come back for one more year? What if Phil Jackson fall through on Jerry, what Jerry Reinstorf asked when he asked him, you know, what, hey, why don't you bring him back one more year? We can keep this car move for one more year and bring the band back. First of all, would they be able to get everybody back? I don't think they would have outside of Jordan. Mm-hmm. I don't think Pippen would have signed mm-hmm. with the long term. But nevertheless, if there was, if Pippen would have, I mean, sorry, if, 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 if Jackson would have come back for that final year, Jordan promises all the promises to follow Jackson wherever he went, so he would have been back for one more year. And I don't know what the rest of Boston would have looked like. I don't think Robin would have been back. I don't think, again, I mentioned Pippen. I don't think he would have been back because he would have been looking to get paid. I don't think the Bulls wanted to pay him. I think they wanted to be rebuilt after that year. But how do you think they would have done? Would you think, Kevin, and I'll, and I'll throw it to you, Jared, as well. Kevin, do you think that the Bulls would have been able to even sniff number seven? Um, there, are, there's so many, uh, what if in that question, I think the only way they sniff number seven, number one, is if they can convince Pippen to come back. And I think the drama that was played out in the last dance with him demanding a trade and that, and being unhappy with his contract and then reluctantly coming back and, um, there in the second half of the year for Chicago, I think it's just, it would be hard, I think, to have mended that bridge with Pippen unless they were going to change their ways and offer him um, a massive extension because I think they ended up trading him to Houston. So I'm not sure if his contract was even up, um, but then Dennis Rodman. Okay. And Dennis Rodman got traded. Um, so I think he would, he would have, he would have probably still been in the fold maybe for one more year, but, but I think it would have been so hard to convince Pippen to come back. Um, but if that was something that they were able to achieve, then I think it, be, it enters the realm of the possi- possibility. Uh, but then I think you have to look at other factors too. And um, this is something I tweeted about this week is as good as that Bulls team was, they were really old. Like Ron Harper was near the end of his career. Right. They were, they, right. they, all of their talent was starting to tail off except for maybe Jordan at that time. And, you know, arguably Pippen, although he would fall off pretty quick after he left Chicago. Um, so all of their talent levels were starting to deteriorate from where they were at. And then you already had the Pacers in the East, but then in that next year we see that your Knicks rose up again um, with a new cast of characters with Allen Houston and Latrell Sprewell um, and that right. great Knicks team that ended up falling to the Spurs in the finals in 99. And then you have this, a new challenger in the Western Conference. Because as good as the Jazz were and as good of a challenger as they were for Chicago, arguably they were two players with with Stockton and Malone. And then Hornacek was a good three-point shooter. Russell was a good defender. But Utah didn't have much else. And Stockton and Malone were already nearing the end of their careers. I mean, they were almost two decades in um, in Utah by the time they finally reached a championship to even try to face uh, MJ and the Bulls at that time. So now we have the Spurs. You guys – just touched on, uh, excuse me, Jared just touched on how good David Robinson was and dropping 53 and Olajuwon in a game. Well, now you got 
Robinson in '99 gets a fresh young Tim Duncan um, to go along right. with some good yeah. shooters. Uh, Mario, Mario Ellie, who was a, a big part of those Rockets teams that won in the mid '90s, he was he was on San Antonio at the time. Uh, I think it was Sean Elliott. Uh, so they had great shooter, great shooters in, in San Antonio to go along with, you know, one of the best combination of big men, if not the best combination of big men in NBA history. Um, it would have been a really high mountain to climb. I I think that I tend to think Pippen wouldn't have been back, but just for argument's sake, if he were back, I I don't think the Bulls would have reached the summit again. Um, just that where they were at in their career. And I know no disrespect to the greatness of Michael Jordan and what he'd be able to accomplish. It's just that team was getting old. And there, there's a reason that Jerry Krause broke it up beyond the fact that he was just a crazy guy that was power hungry. He saw the writing on the wall that, that it was going to come to an end, whether he broke it up or not sooner rather than later. Father time is undefeated. Yeah. That's right. That and sex. <laughs> Undefeated on time. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that Spurs team, they were they, – they, that was the start of the, the, the four years the start of the Spurs run of their dynasty. Them and the, we're in the Lakers having their and the dynasties intertwined, you know, if you will, from the other Western Conference. Um, but people forget that I think the year after the, – the, that year following, the season following the uh, Jordan's last – Title, there was a strike, a lockout rather. It was a lockout, yep. and there's a, there's a shortened season, and you know that's, that's what, what comes. Played I in think their favor. exactly. So there you go. So, um, because like couple all of that drama to what the Bulls had going on with, with possible contracts, they're trying to get the band back together. It would have been a tough sled. For good, really good. Um, you still had the Heat, even though we beat the Heat that 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 opening round the eight as an eighth seed. Um, and then I mean, who forget who else is me? I think it was the Pacers. Yeah, the Pacers were were still good. And then of course the Spurs and you know the the, the, the Jazz. But the Spurs that was the beginning. And I don't think the Bulls had an answer for <laughs> David Robinson and a very young Tim Johnson. I don't. They they had an answer for those two guys. Twenty, the original they they won the best twin towers in NBA history. I don't think they would have had an answer for them. Rodman could have only guarded one of them. Yep, he got himself in foul trouble, and then that one left the front line thin. <laughs> they were thin against him. But I just I, I think don't stand fans, a chance. I think we yeah I think that we deserve to at least see Jordan's Bulls. At least see someone take them out. We were robbed of that as sports fans. We were robbed of seeing that, having that team, whether it be from the Eastern Conference or in the finals, them out and in Jordan's reign. Now, I get Jordan Can want I to go out on that? top. Yeah, go ahead. Does that take some of the mystique away from it, though? No. They're 6 and 0. I mean, Jordan went on. If, they go, if, they, go, if they go from 6 and 0 to 6 and 1, are they. Still, the perfect dynasty bulls. That's or six and zero and bounced by the point. Knicks, like a Do young what? Knicks team. Yeah, I said or six and zero and still six and zero, but bounced by like a young Knicks team in like the Eastern Conference semis or finals or something. Yeah, I mean, does that take some of the mystique away from them? I mean, 
I just I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just quote unquote uh, traditional. I just it, it, it's something about seeing a dynasty rise and then someone finally dismantling that said dynasty. You know what I'm saying? Like someone had to take out Rome. Someone had to take out Babylonian Empire. Someone had to take out the Persian Empire. You know, someone had to break up. The, I mean, someone had to break come along. Some young lion had to come along and end dynasty. You know, we would have not known who would that that team would have been because we seen it all sport. I mean, you know, the Bulls broke up the Pistons, and before that, the mm-hmm. Pistons broke up the Celtics. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it, it, every it's like every every beginning has an end as as far as that greatness goes. You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't know. That's that's I was, that's all I was just was wondering. Like, what if we saw that young lion, that that lion? If you will come out and just take out the king, kind of like like in uh, in the series The Wire, where Omar, my favorite character, would say, "If you come out the king, best not miss." You know what I'm saying? So I mean, what mm-hmm. if where we had that Omar come at the? Who would that Omar would have been to take out the king? You know what I'm saying? So that, that's all. I'm, that's all I would say. I, I think that I just wish that we could see a team at least. That's that true because who took out Jordan? Who shot Jarrah, right? Who took out Jordan? <laughs> so. Yeah. And everyone's quiet because I, I made such a good point. <laughs> I mean, I think it would have been Tim Duncan, probably. Tim Duncan and David Robinson. And yeah. if, if the Bulls reach the finals. Go ahead, Jared. I, I'm, I'm with Kevin there. I think it would have been the Spurs because let's just assume that you get everybody back but Pippen because that's that's pretty much what you could do is you could have gotten everybody back but Pippen. And I, right. Michael was good enough by himself, I think, to get you through that New York team, especially with uh, with Ewing getting injured. Um, right. That takes away the, their, their best front-line player, which – that would arguably be the weakness of the Bulls is the front line because, like you said, you just attack you just attack Pitt or not Pippen off. You just attack Robin, get him in foul trouble, and then it's over. But I, and I think he would have. I kind of think it's like I kind of feel like the Bulls were to the Pacers like LeBron was to the Toronto Raptors. Like he was just in their head so much that no matter what they did, he was going to win. So I feel like at the end of the day, the Bulls probably would have gotten back, but they they just didn't have the they would not have had the 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 team to deal with Robinson and Duncan or Duncan and Robinson both. I just it, I don't think it would have happened that way. I think the 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 San Antonio Spurs would have come in. Beat him. Michael would have retired. He would have gone out not on top, but he would have gone out passing the torch. And then, you know, the rest is written from there. But that begs the question. Here's here's the sliding glass door moment of that is, or the butterfly effect, whatever you want, whatever one you want to go with. Phil comes back for the '99 season. Does he go coach the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq? in 2000 and then they go on their run so that's that's the moments there. like that's the fun thing about all the what ifs is not just you know the the you know focal focal point of it it's all the ancillary pieces of it right right 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, we're going to, like, we got 30 minutes. Uh, I think I'm a table. I was going to talk about, uh, you know what, I'll get into it. Um, who looked worse throughout this, this documentary, this docuseries? I, I came in blaming Jerry Krause for breaking up the Bulls, but but at the at the series end, who looked the worst in your your opinion, Kevin? Uh, Jerry was it Krause, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, Jackson, Pippen, or Horace Grant? Um, well, if if I'm if I'm gonna if I tow the line that I think the docuseries series would want me to tow, I think I would say Jerry Krause. Um, but I think there's a part of me that came away with a newfound, um, a newfound respect for Krauss almost just, uh, and I, I'll say this, I will say that I think, I think Krauss is, is probably the ultimate villain, uh, in, in terms of, again, how the docuseries frames it. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that Phil Jackson even came away as a villain, but in my mind, not taking away what he accomplished as a coach because he was a great coach. Um, I think that sure. I think that history maybe doesn't give enough credit to Krause for not discovering Jackson, but taking taking a chance on him. You know, Jackson was yeah. coaching. I think it, I think it was called the BSN League in Puerto Rico. Jackson's coaching down there. Nobody would take a mm-hmm. chance on Jackson for an assistant NBA coaching job because he had such countercultural beliefs and ideals and um and Krauss takes a chance on him and it it I thought this story was well well framed in the documentary and then um Krauss but Krauss also took in Tex Winter and like wanted Tex Winter on the staff as well and he he Krauss was the one that kind of devised the relationship between Jackson and Tex Winter when Winter fell out of Doug Collins good graces and was you know almost banished from the coaching staff to just you take notes at practice kind of thing Krauss was the one that nudged Jackson in Winter's direction and said hey you know get under this guy's wing learn from him learn the triangle from him from Tex Winter who had played in the originator of the triangles offense and had been and had added to it himself Um, and then Winter is the one that taught Jackson the triangle offense, and then Winter was on all of Jackson's staffs, I think up until 2009 when Winter could no longer coach. And so I think Phil Jackson is praised as this guru genius of the triangle offense, but I think Krauss is the one that's, you know, behind the scenes, um, you know, manipulating things and and sees like a bigger picture. And and maybe maybe that's ultimately – uh, also, what and I think the docu series plays to it. What led to uh, what was Krause's greatest downfall was the fact that he was behind the scenes, maybe pulling the strings, maybe orchestrating things. But then Jackson was labeled the guru, you know, and Jordan was labeled the greatest basketball player of all time. And Krause was like, "What? You know, I'm the one that put all of this in motion, you know, and I'm chopped liver here." Um, but I think not. Not that Jackson's a villain. I guess my point is just that Jackson – I have a greater respect for how Jackson came to be the genius that he is, and I don't attribute it now entirely to Phil Jackson. Right? All right, Jeff, what, what you got, brother? Um, I'm kind of along the lines – I'm along the same lines – the same line as Kevin when it comes to who was the ultimate villain because the – the docuseries made Jerry Krause out to be the villain in all this, 
especially with the right. way that they left in all the all the him getting picked on and this, that, and the other thing. And I mean, and, and I said it a couple of weeks ago, Jerry Krause didn't get the credit he deserved, but also felt he deserved more credit than he was ever going to get for building it. You know, organizations win championships, not players. Well, right. to an extent <laughs> you're correct. Michael Jordan but, <laughs> Yeah, I was just about right. to say Michael Jordan wins championships. Kevin Durant wins championships. He has to get with Stephen Curry to do that, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> but right. it's it's your players are the ones that go out there on the front line and win it. It's just like in, it's just like a war. Your soldiers go out there and fight the war and and ultimately win the war. But the generals who devise the schemes that go around, you know, they. They they don't feel like they get the credit because, you know, well, your soldiers were the ones out there doing all the fighting. Well, yes, that's true, but you also have to credit the game plan for it. So Phil was, you know, like Kevin said, Phil was, you know, renowned as, as being a basketball genius and this, this that, and third. And Jerry Krause just wasn't wasn't given the credit he was due in this docu-series or at the time. I mean, yes, he is in the Hall of Fame, and he he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame because he did put together two different uh, – and, and they were two totally different teams that each of them three-peat. Granted, the, the common denominator was Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, but he still had to put the rest of the team together because – Okay, I'm not even going to try to make that point because that's just a point that's not going to be made and it's not going to work. But I just feel like Kraus was the ultimate villain here for not giving them the opportunity to go for that seventh victory and or that seventh title. And, and he was the one that said, you know, Phil Jackson could go 82-0 and and he's still not coaching this team next year. It, he's... I don't know how to portray this. I don't want to really speak ill of the dead or anything. And that's the one thing about this series that would have made it better for me is if Krause could have been here to tell his side of it. Right. I think that would have, that, that would have made it a little bit a little bit better. But would Jordan have allowed that is the question because this was all <laughs> greenlit by Jordan and Jordan had the final say and okay on everything. But I, it's yeah, Krause is the villain, but he's not really like the evil villain. I think he's just kind of like the, the scapegoat, you know? Yeah. And, and to your point, Joe, I think Horace Grant had a, had, had some had some beef with that too as far as Joe having final say. Like, this is a documentary? This is no damn documentary. Uh, to me, <laughs> I think it's a split between Krause and Ryan And Here's why. I mean, we already hit upon why Krause would be considered the villain, right? So I think we've all been collectively beating that dead horse. But Ryan's Dwarf was, last I checked, was, I think it still is the owner of the Chicago Bulls. And mm-hmm. like most sports owners, all they would have had to say do is take their general manager, their, their Napoleon complex have a general manager to the side, bring in Phil, bring <laughs> them both down, and say, look, you two. Both of you are going to do two things. A, shut the hell up. B, go out and win and stay together until I say so. And I 
And number three, shut the hell up. That's all he had to do. That's all Ryan Silva had to do. He could have killed that beef right away, but mm-hmm. he chose not to. And the ner- he had the nerve to go to the field after the season, not before, after Carlos made that 82 or no like comment, but after the season and say, hey, you want to run this back? To me, if he would have, if, if Ryan would have just sat and did what I, what I suggested, if, if you will, and just squash it at the beginning of the season and say, look, I want to keep winning. You still mm-hmm. have to work it out, but I want to keep winning. Well, both of you don't have, won't, won't, won't have jobs. That's, I, I think, I think that would have kept going at least for another season. But I, but I think Ryan still let it fester, and you know, to the point where. Of course, Kraus gets a lion's share of the blame for most people, most of his eyes. But I think, I think both were culpable as far as being villains in this, and 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 and, and keeping this keeping this this thing from like like from from going on further. We only have a few more minutes left, brothers, and you know, we'll probably talk more about it next week, more about the documentary next week as we ran out the the NBA playoff month that would have been the playoffs if it weren't for the pandemic. Uh, we're touching upon. The great NBA player performances. Uh, we did snuck it two weeks ago. Uh, we did. I forgot who we did. <laughs> I forgot who we did last week. What was that? Uh, Chase McGrady. We did two weeks ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, McGrady. I'm sorry, I'm getting old. Um, so we're gonna touch upon Scottie Pippen. And this is game. This is a year after, of course, Jordan retired. This is game six of the 1994 Eastern Conference semifinals against those headed Knicks, my beloved Knicks. And it wasn't that Pippen had a great game, per se. I mean, if you look at the stat line, excuse me, he scored 13 points, had 11 rebounds, he had a double-double. Double. He had a double-double, right. I mean, but B.J. Armstrong led them in scoring in 20 points. Bob Horace going for 16 points and 12 rebounds. But what stood out to me, in that game, first of all, it was, it was a do-or-die game for Chicago before game seven, which they ended up losing game seven. Until um, game six, up to this point, game six, almost all the games have been fairly close. Like, the Bulls lost game one, 90-86, lost game two by five points, and then won in Chicago on that last second Tony Kuko shot uh, to beat the, the uh, Knicks 104-102. And then they kind of like put the gas in, uh, put up to the middle game four, even though there was a 12 point margin, felt closer than that. And then, of course, losing on a phantom, I, and even I admit to this, got robbed in game five. That phantom foul on Hubert Davis <laughs> from three that led to the Knicks winning by one. And then game six was when they got, that's the first time we've seen the curb something, something this series, because. There were times where the Bulls went up by 18. They 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 out the block out the gate scoring 30 points in the first quarter, which was unheard of in the mid 1990s NBA when defense was king um, and portraying. Um But still, I mean, the Chicago jumped on New York and jumped on them quickly, and so they were prepared to send the Knicks to Mexico because the Knicks was out muscling Chicago throughout the entire series up to this point. But really, everybody remembers the game six in the third quarter on a fast break. Pippen gets the ball, rises over Ewing, and jams it in his grill. 
They didn't get hey, they, they didn't his 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 view. he blocked that he blocked a uh, Ewing shot first. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. And so the add insult to injury, right? You get the block get the shot blocked, then you run down the floor and get the ass dumped on. <laughs> so it's like the it's like the it's like a double whammy, right? Get the shot blocked one end, get dumped on another end. But when he when when Pippen stood up, first of all, he did things that would cause starters. I'm surprised it wasn't a riot. The riot didn't break out. He, <laughs> he stood over Ewing. He stood over Patrick Ewing. First of all, if you stand over anybody on the playground, wherever, that's a fight. That is a sure <laughs> fight. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Ewing didn't throw him. I'm surprised that a, a, a Miller didn't break out. A la Mouse of the Palace on the court, though. And then Pippen walks down the sideline, calls out Spike Lee, points at Spike Lee, shouts <laughs> at Spike Lee, and walks away from him. That was awesome. That was awesome. Again, I'm a Knicks fan. I didn't like the Bulls. That was awesome. That Even I got out of my chair watching it on TNT. I, was, I had a shout. <laughs> so that, that was that, – upon that – that play alone, I picked Game Six because it was in the middle. It did in the spirit of of of, 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 the, of the of the last dance Ducky series when Jordan stepped away, but that was to show that Pippen still had it, and he he gave it to him good. So, Jared, give me a. I, I know we uh, we like like uh, like you you provide us with a with the uh, full series of that full like 1994 Eastern Conference semifinal series, but give me your impressions. Like on the game, like sum it up, if you will, how the game flowed, like, like how dominant that Pippen was, not necessarily on the stat sheet, but his press, his press was falling on both ends, and how it affected game six of that series. That's just, it's, that's just, you said the two, you said the two words that epitomized what Scottie Pippen did best, both ends. 13 and 10 yeah. doesn't sound like a fantastic necessarily like box score necessarily. Kevin pointed out it's a double double and double doubles aren't just necessarily easy to come by. But he also mm-hmm. played lockdown defense against whoever the hell it was that was in front of him, whether it's Patrick Ewing or or, or whoever it was. So that that's the effect of Scottie Pippen was, and and you saw that right. throughout. And you saw that not just not just in '94, and I know that's what we're kind of focusing on right now. But you saw that throughout his entire Bulls career was whenever there right. was another there was a player on the other team that was starting to get hot. Phil's answer was throw Scotty at him, and Scotty beat his ass up because right. because Scotty was more physical, bigger, faster, stronger than just about anybody, and those that were stronger than him, he was faster than, and he was he was just able to do everything like he was he was so so long he could jump he was quick he had the lateral movement that's just out of this world so that's what it was and nobody really took Scotty as serious or as an alpha until he dunked on Patrick Ewing proceeded to teabag him and then proceeded to go tell Spike Lee to put the fuck down yeah so that was awesome. I mean, that, and, and that's just yeah. it. It would have been. It would have had he done that. Had this had the dunk happened in Madison Square Garden 
would it have had the same effect him telling to go tell Spike Lee to sit down? But no, because it happened in Chicago in Scotty's house right. where he just walked over, told him to sit down, and then sauntered around and then got a technical foul out of the entire ordeal too. Like it, it's just I know. It was perfect. I mean that that atmosphere makes your even watching it to this day, bro. It made it gave me goosebumps because the the, the crowd is coming. Out. It was just a spontaneous reaction. It's a perfect storm. You're, you're going against the hated Knicks, right? You're down three two in the series. Do or die. You're at home. You're, you're kicking the crap out of New York at this point, right? Everyone knows it's going to be a game seven, but but that didn't stop them. I mean that that fast break. Spike Lee running his mouth the entire series. It was a crescendo. It was the perfect storm, dude. The perfect storm how it happened. A block on Ewing or Yokler or whoever it was. A fast break. Ewing runs his ass down the court like he should. Perfect bounce back pass, I think, from Myers to uh, Pippen. Pippen just – he, he, he massacred Ewing. It was like rest in peace, Patrick Ewing. I mean, he just dumped on him. To your point, Jerry, teabagged his ass and just stood over him. He just stood over him. I mean, stood over a, a Hall of Famer. He stood over him. Crowd's going wild. And, and the Knicks team coming down to push Pippen and Boyd Grant came. Guys pushed back. They wouldn't have big brawl. I thought it was going to brawl. Everyone thought a brawl was going to break out because they both those teams hate each other. People forget how I much they hate each other. They were each other. But if you do that to me I on mean, the basketball yeah. court, I'm getting up, and there's going to have to be multiple people in between me and you to stop me from getting to you. Well, yeah. that's fine yeah, to me exactly. because that would start with that would start with me being able to dunk in the first place. So I'll, <laughs> I'll take the end result. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Hey, hey, Kevin, if you were able to dunk like that, bro, I don't think you would have given a damn. You tea badge your boy Jared or not after? You're like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've, ex- I've experienced the Patrick Ewing part of it. Yeah. I've experienced the yeah. Patrick Ewing part of that play, but I would love to experience the the Scotty Pippen part of that play. I've been ducked on oh, wow. in in, uh, in gymnasiums and and oh yeah, there was one time I was playing at um is one of the Jesse Owens centers up in Columbus. I was visiting a friend in Ohio uh-huh. State, and this kid this kid just like I was literally split his legs over top of me in the air and then dunked on me and then taunted me. And I was like, wow. dude, I'm like 5'10 and then 200 pounds. Like, uh, you know, congrats, man. <laughs> but so I've, <laughs> I've experienced, I've experienced the Ewing end of it. I would love, I would love to tip it in no matter what, uh, no matter what fate might await me after. Dude, I, hey, dude, let me tell you this. If I have, if I have, I mean, I could jump, but not like Pippen. Pippen's six six. I'm six four. But six, Pippen's six seven. I'm sorry. And with NBA hops, I was six four of average hops. And so even if I had an in game dunk, I would have acted the fool. So if I know <laughs> that if I dunk on some dude, on top of that, man, shit. Okay, you want to fight me? Fine. I still dunk on you. Then I'll dunk on you again. I'll dunk you on you again. <laughs> you know, if I had that skill. <laughs> I wouldn't have cared. I was just that petty. I didn't give a damn. But I, I mean, Pippen. That that that's what helped me like appreciate what Pippen did. I didn't get mad at him. I remember just Scott, on the floor in the fetal position, but I didn't get mad at him. Scott, can I ask you this? Is because you obviously I was six at the time. 
Uh, Jared is a little younger. Um, so as someone that, that lived it and experienced it, the moment you said you jumped up watching it on TNT, like, was yeah. did Scottie Pippen, did he always have that kind of cocky, right, maybe that cocky is not the right word, but that kind of bravado uh, that swagger. he showed in that game. Yeah, swagger. I don't know, maybe that's better. That he showed in that game um, as he – because I know there was a point where John Starks and him collided, and he's on the floor, and he's kind of laughing about yeah. it at one point. And it's like, for me, I know yeah. the old Pippen that I see in interviews that has, like, the – you know, the very deep and slow voice. And so I don't necessarily think of this guy that, that might be out there hot-dogging and stuff. Was he always like that, or was that only, like, when Jordan wasn't a part of the team? Did did that kind of it was did that accelerate when Jordan wasn't there? Sure. It, it, was, in, it was in big moments. Like, when uh, – I'll tell you okay. this. When they played when – they, when, the, when they played the, the Knicks, there was a time when they played the Hornets when they had when the, when Charlotte had Larry Johnson, and there was a time where it became like a scoring duel between Pippen and Johnson. Johnson would come down, hit a shot. Pippen would come down, hit a shot. And plus, they both touched each other too, which made it even cooler. And and, mm-hmm. and like like Larry Johnson, I remember he came down. This is mid nineties, obviously, but he came down, hit a I guess fifteen foot over Pippen or whatever. And then Pippa comes down the floor, brings the ball down the court, waits for, waited for Larry Johnson to come to him, shoots a three, nails a three, looks at him, and all Larry Johnson could do was just laugh. That's all he could do. That's all he could do. I'm like, because Pippa was like, okay, you got this? Well, I'm going to up the ante and do this to you. Because he's, he's done it. He's one of those silent, he's one of those undercover uh, 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 swag cats. Because if he gets Opa. going, he'll embarrass you. He'll let you know he'll mm-hmm. embarrass you. A la Ewing, Patrick Ewing that one time. And, you know, what made it even, again, what made it sweeter was that Spike Lee was front row. Spike Lee was talking shit throughout <laughs> the entire series. And so when Pippen did that, he just, you know, it's like, I think he bad them. Sorry, Jerry, to steal your word. But when he teabagged them, uh, he stepped over Ewing. Notice the first place he went was toward uh, uh, Spike Lee. I mean, a, a slow beeline, if you will, to Spike Lee and point at him. Tell him to sit his ass down. That was that. <laughs> that was awesome. Who would have thought Spike would have learned from that and not been fucking with Reggie Miller? Yeah, fans will be fans. That's your heart, if fans, you know. I mean. I mean, I mean, like, like uh, when, when, yeah, when uh, Reggie, Reggie Miller had what? How many points he had in like three, four, five seconds in the playoffs against him? Um, and then he did the choke pose to Spike Lee. <laughs> the NBA was great in the nineties. I'm sorry, the NBA was great in the Um But anyway, yeah. But um, yeah, that was that was to me. Even though to you, we said that Pippen didn't show it as much on the stat sheet. He did it on both ends. He has five assists and four steals to go along with that. So um, he he did he did the damn thing. It's just that it was too bad for the Bulls, for your Bulls, Jared, that y'all got robbed in Game Five in New York because y'all should have won that series. Going away, I'll say that. This coming from a Knicks fan. I'm serious. I I, I shit you not. I I'm telling you that y'all should have beaten us without Jordan because you guys were. were you guys were a good team. You guys were, were well coached, you know, motivated to show that it wasn't just Jordan. Jordan's show per se, 
and y'all got robbed in game five. When um when 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 on that phantom foul call on the three point shot by Hubert Davis that won them the game over you all. I'm I'm shrugging my shoulders over here. You can't see me. I'm shrugging my shoulders. I mean I'm just being honest. Y'all got robbed. <laughs> y'all got hey, robbed. I and, and I go ahead, Kevin. I was just gonna say, speaking to the Bulls wanting to prove something, you know, with Jordan being gone, this is the list of Bulls players that had their career highs, uh, notable players. I'm not talking about guys that only played that year, but uh, career highs in scoring that year, uh, B.J. Armstrong, Steve Kerr, Bill Winnington, Scott Williams, uh, Pete Myers, Horace Grant, and Scottie Pippen all had their, their career highs in, in points per game the, the season after Jordan left. Yep. Yep. Especially to your point, yeah, B.J. Armstrong, Horace Grant, and Pippen, you know, they, mm-hmm. they really played well during that season. And to see it come to an end the way it did in game seven, you know, 87 to 77 was the final score of crying out loud. But, you know, oh. yeah, it was, it was one of those things. But uh, thank God for – I mean, look, I, I, I appreciate defense of the next guy, but, yeah, that wasn't pretty basketball at that point. <laughs> it was more no. football than it was basketball. But <laughs> that's another story for another. Hey guys, we got ten minutes left, so let's let's wrap it up and do it again. Let's wrap this series up next week, man. To close out the NBA, what should be the NBA playoff month of twenty twenty. Um, so let's wrap the series up next week. And uh, as always, I enjoyed it. Let's 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 bring it back. Let's just do what the Bulls didn't do. Let's bring it back for one final <laughs> week. <laughs> Sounds good, Scott. Man. Oh boy. All right, take care, fellas. Scott, thanks for having Those me. Those my guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. You guys, that's my guys, uh, Kevin McCune and Jared Singleton. Please catch them on the Weekend Adjustment Sports Show on WMOH 1450, The Ticket. In the meantime, thank you all for tuning to the podcast. This is Scott Burke with the Clown Hour signing off. Please stay home. Stay safe through this pandemic. I don't give a damn how many things your state has opened up. Please stay safe. And as always, oh, six. Hey.